Hey guys, I'm Alex Agron, and this is the Private Equity Technology Podcast. Hi, and welcome back to the Private Equity Technology Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Alex Agran, and our guest today is Doug Laney. Doug is the Data and Analytics Strategy Innovation Fellow at West Monroe Partners, and he's also a published author. His best-selling book is Infonomics. And today we're going to talk about data and data analytics in the private equity setting of diligence. So, Doug, um, welcome, first of all, and please introduce yourself. Thank you. Good to meet you both. Um, well, yeah, you did a, a bit of an introduction there. So I'm a, actually a former Gartner, longtime Gartner analyst, uh, for those familiar with uh, the IT research and advisory firm. And while I was there, I started researching this concept of data as an actual corporate asset. And you know, what, what does that actually mean? And how can, how and why organizations should behave as if data is an actual asset, even though according to uh, antiquated accounting practices, uh, it, it is not a balance sheet asset yet. <laughs> and, and you recently wrote an article on data diligence. What does mm. that mean? Because in private equity, we are swamped with with data. We have data rooms. So mm-hmm. what does this mean? Yeah, so um, uh, data diligence is, a, I think, an important and emerging part of doing due diligence for corporate transactions. Uh, we at West Monroe uh, provide w- w- what we call technology diligence on over 500 deals a year uh, for the private equity firms that we work with. And uh, as part of that technology diligence, um, we, we started looking at the value, uh, capabilities, limits, risks, uh, opportunities in the data that a an acquirer would will will find in a in a target company or maybe throughout its its portfolio, so uh, data diligence is the assessment of value risks and, and opportunities inherent to an organization's uh, information or, or data portfolio, and really we believe it should be part of any uh, overall M and A due diligence effort. So let's take this into um, a practical example. So if a company is going through the diligence process and it brings in a general practitioner, it may bring in a tech practitioner as well to look at the company. How do you then play into that? And and what's your role in that? Because everybody is getting elements of of data sets. Yeah, I mean, usually the the folks who are leading the the, uh, M&A activity, the the private equity firm are concerned with, you know, corporate things like, you know, sales and pipelines and, and things like that. Um, we come in and advise on the technology portfolio and how um, how you know, appropriate and and um, you know, modernized um, and effective the technology stack is. But from a data diligence perspective, now we're also looking at what is the value of data of, of the the organization's data as part of that deal? What kind of synergies are there among the portfolio companies or the between the acquirer and the acquiree? Uh, what kind of opportunities are there to drive more value from the data assets that the organization has? But then we're also looking at the costs, risks, and challenges in data as well, and using all of that to inform the uh, to better inform the the deal. You know, data is increasingly the lifeblood of of many organizations and you know core component of the digital economy. So to continue to overlook the the value and opportunities and synergies and risks and costs of data, 
um, I think is a major failing of, of many um, who are doing uh, due diligence today. If we could, let's separate value and as a as a channel here and risks as another one and kind of sure. just fo- let's focus on the value side of it mm-hmm. maybe start with who who needs to be at the table and when do people need it to be at the table uh in this process to start to uncover what those potential synergies and opportunities are or can be um so so there's a couple of ways to look at, at value first one is you know what is the current value of of of, uh, of the organization's portfolio of data assets. Um, and just like any other asset, we can look at um, what is it, we can determine that value based on it's, it's using the cost approach, the market approach, or the income approach, the same as we would with any other kind of um, intangible asset. And so the cost approach looks at what did it cost to collect or, or uh, generate this data. The market value looks at what uh, is this data's potential um, value in an open, you know, arm's length marketplace. What could we get from selling or trading the data? Not necessarily for cash, but maybe for some other commercial um, considerations. And then the third is what is the the assets, the the data assets contribution to a revenue stream or cost savings. So that that's looking at it kind of in in its current form. But we also think as part of the due diligence, uh, we ought to be thinking about what are the um, what are the possibilities w- with data to either barter or trade with it to bake it into new uh, or existing offerings or to use data to develop new offerings or to uh, firm up partnerships um, or even you know sell or market the data I- itself uh, either in a raw form or in a more aggregated uh, derivative form. So there really are like, I think you were hinting at, there are really two, two dimensions to that. One is what is the value currently of the data assets? And then what new value streams could we derive or, or drive from, from them? Now, who's at the table? Uh, really anyone who, who one, somebody who understands data, of course, but you know, so somebody who can apply traditional valuation methods to, uh, to really any, any kind of asset. I find that folks who are uh, attuned to, Valuing other kinds of uh, intangibles, you know, things maybe like brand or other non-reported intangibles, or even the reported intangibles like copyrights and trademarks, um, are good folks to have uh, have involved. You, you do. I'm not sure if in that group of people you mentioned would be people that have the the ideas on the opportunities of what to do. There's the one thing which is kind of marking the the value of it from in some sort of maybe dollar amount is what you were referencing there, but the yes. opportunities then to leverage that data. This private equity firm that I came across recently, they've got an internal team. The, the way they were handling it was they're in, in, in sort of some management meeting, they're just kind of at the table with their normal analysts who are furiously taking notes, but you can sense they're what they're doing is they're kind of asking a lot of data-related questions in terms of where data is applied throughout the mm-hmm. organization. And then behind them, there's this sounded like there's an internal team then that gets to work on taking, maybe taking that data and seeing what opportunity, what other opportunities exist. They've got an infrastructure at the organization to do this work. Yeah. Many, many companies don't. Many companies don't have a, an R&D, if you will, kind of effort um, uh, around looking for new data-driven opportunities, 
And so, uh, you know, at West Monroe, we've we've uh, implemented a, a process for helping organizations go through that exercise, um, a series of workshops to <clears throat> generate hypotheses, to uh, look at what data is available, uh, look at the range of internal and external and uh, stakeholders and what their their business drivers are and, and what data could we provide to them and what kind of form to um, drive value for, for, for those stakeholders, again, both internally and externally. <clears throat> Once we've generated a number of ideas, and, and usually in these workshops, we'll end up um, creating 30, 40, 50 you know, new ideas for, for, for leveraging data um, in ways that it's not today. And then we take them through a feasibility assessment where we look at the um, feasibility in, in, in multiple dimensions. We'll look at the um, ethical, legal feasibility, the operational feasibility, the technical feasibility, the data quality you know, related feasibility, uh, scalability, and, and about 10 different dimensions to determine which of these ideas that we've generated through these workshops are the most um, you know, overall um, possible. Um, and and would generate the most value at the least cost and risk. Um, and then you know, we'll decide whether we want to actually pursue those. As part of a M&A deal, often you don't have time to go through that exercise uh, uh, in, a, in a robust way because uh, it usually takes you know, six to eight weeks or more. Um, but we can do a lightweight version of that, to, to, again, to better inform the, the deal. And, and you were asking about the, the types of ways that we're types of value propositions we're looking for. So we, we sort of break those down into indirect data monetization, where we're looking at ways to improve process performance or effectiveness or reduce risk or improve compliance or develop new products or, or markets uh, to build or solidify partner relationships. And then we're also looking externally at ways to barter or trade the data to enhance uh, existing products or services with data or sell data directly or through, through data brokers or, you know, an emerging class of data marketplaces or offer insights or analyses and reports. Um, we're also um, working with some clients to implement what we call an inverted data monetization. And, and that is where um, listen, I can't sell you my data because of various regulations, let's say my hospital or a bank or whatever. And I, I can't sell my, my data, especially my customer data, but I can sell your stuff to my customers. So there are opportunities to create internal marketplaces to enhance the value proposition to your customers by making others' products and services available to them rather than me selling you my customer data. Um, and it's a way to, to monetize your customer data that is in line with um, or acceptable with uh, in, in light of various kinds of compliance uh, regulations like the GDPR or, or whatnot. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, what Th that's... Oh, go ahead, Lisa. Oh, I was, Doug, what kind of customers are you working with? Are you working with more of the mid-cap firm <clears> or larger cap? And, and what is the platform that you're using? Is it your own platform or is it the firm's platform? Um, well, often the data room is set up, and so that's not our platform, but we'll, we'll get involved in that. But we do have a, 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 a tool called Intellio Insights, that will help us um, determine the uh, um, potential value and risks of, of deals based on the history of what we what we've done. So it's a it's a platform that we use to to kind of inform our, our own report. Um, we're, we're considering opening opening that up um, and productizing it more, but uh, that that's coming. But it's a it's a platform that captures all of the details on the deals that we work on. Um, and then can inform your future deals. And so we have, you know, 
um, hundreds of thousands of data points in, in the in the tool right now. And are you thinking that, you know, I mean, from my perspective, a lot of these larger cap firms are trying to do it themselves. Do you see that as a direction in the market? Do what themselves? Do do this data clear. analytics during diligence. Um, so, some of them are. Yeah, some of them have, you know, data science teams that will work um, you know, on these deals. I just haven't found one yet that has a real robust, you know, approach um, like, like we have to um, to do the, the, the data diligence work. Um, so that's the that value channel. Maybe let's go down to that risk one now. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a bit about generally the risks in data that people should be aware of? Yeah, so risks would relate to uh, the ability to scale and perform and, and deliver data in a, in a timely fashion. Risks related to inability to integrate data, um, particularly across multiple portfolio companies. Um, risks related to uh, compliance, security, privacy, um, lack of uh, master data, metadata management, uh, all variety of data quality issues like accuracy, completeness, timeliness, integrity, and, and so forth. Uh, these are all you know, risks that we look at that you know, manifest in the business if they're allowed to, uh, to persist. And it's, you- uh, you know, people talk a lot about technical debt, right? And so this is really a way of kind of looking at what's the data debt for an organization. Mm. And, and you pulled into specific industries, Doug. Are you, more, are you pulled more into business services or software, et cetera, or, or where do you see the pull coming from segments? Um, I, I don't know if I can really speak to that. It's, it's pretty broad. We get pulled in wherever the, the private equity firms that we partner with um, ha- have a need, um, particularly related to where there's perhaps a, uh, they think that the, the the target company's technology platform or data might introduce um, un, unforeseen opportunities or unforeseen risks, and that's where we'll get involved. And where do you From see the comp- them leaving most money on the table? What what, what are the pockets <laughs> of opportunities that they they're not going after? Oh goodness. Um, so we're looking at the value side, the, the pockets of opportunity, probably uh, uh, more around um, probably using data to make better, faster decisions. Um, a, a lot of companies right now are realizing that due to the pandemic, that they've been creating forecasts based on their own historical data. And the pandemic has broken those forecasting methods, those, those analytics. And what organizations have found that they need to do is look more at um, leading indicators of of business activity, um, and those indicators often come from outside their their own organization. And so, ch- changing their their analytic models and, and forecasting models to become more driver based than trend based uh, is is something that's of, of of real concern and import right now. On the back on the risk side for a moment. Mm-hmm. We spend some time on the compliance and the security and the privacy. Mm-hmm. What what should what do people need to be aware of, in, in particularly there as it relates to in, in when you when you buy another company mm-hmm. and you take on that data, the thing when, when you say compliance, security, yeah. privacy, there's things people need to be aware of of the data that you own, mm-hmm. uh, so that you're not at risk. Uh, you're well, not you're not holding risk that you're not aware of. 
right? So one would be, uh, what, what is the life cycle of data? Understanding the, how it flows through an organization and where are the weak points related to privacy or security? Um, how is data being governed? Um, is, it, is data governance still seen uh, as an IT issue or has it risen to the level of really being something that the business is involved in? Um, there are also concerns with overlapping and often conflicting regulations, um, government regulations versus industry regulations versus maybe a company's own, you know, own, own policies um, are often in conflict. And so we'll, we'll help to identify those as well. But what are the what are the actual risks to a, a, a buyer of these of, of this data? Well, the risk would be obviously reputational if uh, you know PII personally identifiable information gets out, or if there's a, a, a hack, um, and so that that's probably the the major concern when it comes to privacy and security. And then there's the issue of you know being compliant with whatever the industry regulations are, um, and the risks associated with being say fined for non-compliance. Right. I, I was going to, I imagine there's some financial risk involved as yeah. well. Especially when, when companies are being rolled up, it's usually a smaller company, you know, being rolled up into a larger one and, and maybe uh, a company that was uh, maybe a U.S. based company or only doing business in the U.S. is now part of a portfolio of companies that's multinational. And so they need to be more concerned with um, the the regulations that exist in, in the geographies that they're now going to be participating in. And once you once you get through d- diligence, do you get into delivering programs in sort of the first hundred day period? Yeah. Or great question, yeah. And so that's uh, kind of a, a a wonderful little flywheel we have in in our business is that we can continue to resolve um, or take advantage of the risks and opportunities that we've seen. Um, as a consulting organization, a full service consulting organization, we can get involved with the uh, with the the port codes post close, um, and that's something that we we frequently do. Yes, and so one of the the hindrances that that I frequently come across is the knowledge or or capability or competency of people within the port codes when it comes yeah. to to data. So you might have one might have lofty ambitions for what you can do, but, but I mean, how do you, how do you counter that when you come in? Yeah. You know what? That's my mistake for uh, overlooking the, the organizational risks when we were talking about risks earlier. Yeah. Certainly the lack of, of skills and talent um, and, and process related to data is, is another risk as well. And so we can help, help uh, these organizations resolve that or fill in the gaps on a temporary basis until they get them filled. Mm-hmm. And what's the sort of, um, model of data skills that most companies are adopting. Model of data skills. So, you know, we're obviously huge proponents of uh, of a chief data officer. Um, I, I, in particular, um, have um, have been um, promoting the concept of of splitting the IT organization into separate I and T organizations where data and technology or information and technology are managed as distinct assets. You know, I think there was a time back in the 80s or 90s maybe where it made sense for um, data and technology to be co-managed because data was uh, tightly coupled with, the, with technology. But today where we see cloud applications and, um, and the ability to 
um, separate data from the, the technology that produces it or uses it, um, I, I think it makes sense for them to be managed separately. And so that's something that we, we try to help organizations get wrap their heads around, but also from an organizational perspective, maybe put in place a, a chief data officer um, uh, that will complement the CIO or CTO in that regard. That is an interesting way of looking at it that I've mm-hmm. never considered. But mm-hmm. my, my team, where I'm at, is kind of put it, it's all on the data team. There's a head of the data team, mm-hmm. right? But not as official, not as official as that. Yeah, not as way, not as um, authorized, not a, not an executive well, level. Yeah, it's right. not, yeah, no, but but it, it, it the way that you by by giving it that name, mm-hmm. you you really bring you, you, you say, authority to it. Yeah, and no. and and importance. It, it gives the the organization a sense of how important data actually is because it is driving all these these businesses. Yeah, there's some research that I did recently on uh, actually ongoing research on the role of the chief data officer. And we found that there are really two kinds of CDOs, um, not to go down this this rabbit hole too far, but there are CDOs who are empowered, who are actually true executives, have budgets and resources. And then there are other CDOs that are more uh, kind of strategy oriented um, and report up through the the IT organization. And what we found is that that organizations with true executive CDOs do a far better job at generating value from their data, um, democratizing it, reducing risk, and, and so forth. And Doug, when's the right time to introduce a CDO role into a portfolio? Now, company? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, if we talk about the the you know, if you think about the executive team, you know, that the, the getting a. I was talking to an investor yesterday, and they're they're. they're sort of the smaller end of private equity, but, you know, convincing, uh, you know, colleagues to get HR as a discipline, you know, into, you know, CEO, Mm -hmm. CFO is a no-brainer, but then HR, IT has already been there for a long time. But then, then, you know, they're still quite small. And then, you know, if you move up into the very large cap, you can get a situation where, you know, the CTO will not let go of data anymore. And so you right. have this sort of paralysis. And I was just wondering on the journey if there's the right time to do this. Mm. For sure. We, we see that yeah, all, the, all the time where the IT organization is unwilling to let, let go of data um, or at least bifurcate it into a, a separate separate organization. Those have done, that have done it uh, have been really successful at it. There's some retailers and, and government, even government organizations that have, have done this um, and banks as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, it, it, it does require some organizational change um, and people to be willing to go beyond just the lip service of talking about data as an asset. If you really believe what you're saying about data as an asset, well, then it's time to start measuring it and monetizing it and and managing it like an actual asset. And and that's not something that the IT organization should be really responsible for. Participate in, yes, but not be responsible for. Well, I guess it, it depends where I'm, I, it's not that I'm going to challenge that, but when okay. historically the IT organization has handled data, right? The, the, the data engineer, what, what, I guess the stepping back, how do you, what do you view a, a full data team as? What are the, what's the makeup of it? And by the way, I right. don't think that we're going to offer that down a rabbit hole. We're talking about data diligence. Mm-hmm. So organizationally, uh, we'll, we'll start at the top. Okay, an empowered, an empowered and enabled 
chief data yeah. officer, data architects, uh, data engineers, uh, data scientists. Um, the data curators is a big role um, that, that I like to see. That is, um, you know, we have entire departments dedicated to procuring office supplies, but we most companies don't have any single person dedicated to procuring data supplies for the organization. So I think that's kind of a key role, being somebody who's aware of what external data sets from uh, from third-party data providers, from uh, web, har- web harvested web content, from open data sources, et cetera. They have to have somebody who's aware of, of those, the world of, of data externally and have the ability to, to curate and, and integrate that data. Um, Data storytellers, um, I, I also recommend uh, having somebody who is like a, a data economist, somebody who understands the economics of, of data, the cost structure, the value structure, and, and can put that into business terms. Um, data governance um, leads and data stewards and data uh, quality personnel. I, I can go on and on, but you know, these are all the, the kinds of roles that I see in a but if you, you take know, a, a full functioning data team, that's a that's a massive yes. number of people that nobody. Yeah. Well, no, I shouldn't say nobody. Very few organizations are right. even understand. And I, I, I don't. What you're too. saying, what you're saying to me isn't. It it's not out of the realm of. I mean, I'm intrigued by what you're saying because mm-hmm. I've never thought of it like that. Uh, and and maybe having to rethink that the importance of that yeah. team is something that a lot of us need to to start to do. Right. So in my book, I talk about one part of it is about how to manage data as an actual asset. And there's a lot we can learn from the way that other assets are are managed. Lisa, you mentioned the HR organization. We could learn from the way that we've been managing human capital for almost 50 years and apply those same kind of methods, models, principles, standards to the way that we're managing data. Or maybe we can take physical asset management standards like PAS 55, which is the supply chain model or physical asset management um, ISO standard, right? And, and apply those kinds of models and standards and practices to the way we're managing data. Um, we've been, we, we, IT people or data people have been kind of making this up on our own for, for decades. And I think it's time for us to, to pay homage to and, and respect um, other, other uh, well-honed asset management practices and, and apply them to data. But the point that you've made very clearly that this is not a one-person job. And what I see frequently as a failure point is, you know, businesses sort of saying, well, we sorted out data because we've hired a data scientist, you know, And, and the spectrum of skills that you've described from sort of one end foundational and the other end innovation, um, you know, was very, very holistic. So, so I'm hearing that even if you are a smaller firm, that it's just not a one-person job. You have to think about different mm-hmm. skill sets that you need. Right. In a smaller firm, one person can can wear multiple hats. Like a data scientist could also be a data curator. Um, mm-hmm. a, a data modeler could also be an architect. Um, a, a data engineer could That's also right. be, um, you know, I don't know, a data cleansing specialist. But yeah. I think I see where the there's some confusion where some think that a data scientist can be the sort of data engineer and the architect sort of side of things. Yeah. And I think the problem is where, most, yeah. yeah, most data scientists don't want to do that work. Exactly. They want to build models. Oh, yeah. They don't want to be dealing with data cleansing and, and engineering and all of that. And you, the, the fastest way to lose a data scientist is to make them do that crap. 
<laughs> well, it's very important work as well. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Doug, thanks for hopping on with us today. Really appreciate it. Where can listeners find you and all the work that you and Wes Monroe are doing in this data diligence realm? Hey, thanks for uh, for having me again. It was uh, re- re- really enjoyable to, to talk with you today. Um, folks can reach me uh, uh, via LinkedIn, uh, Doug Laney on, on LinkedIn. I'm also at uh, Doug underscore Laney on, on Twitter. And uh, West Monroe is, is simply westmonroe.com. Looking forward to connecting with, uh, with anyone. Awesome. Thanks again, Doug. Take care. Take care. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Private Equity Technology Podcast. Please support the production of this podcast by subscribing in iTunes and leaving a review. If you want to reach out with any questions or comments, you can get me at alexagran at gmail.com. That's A-L-E-X-A-G-R-A-N.com.